Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Kay, and I use pronouns like she and her. And I'm Pastor Emily, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. In this episode, we'll discuss New Year's Day, also known as the first day of the Georgian calendar, which this year and every year falls on January 1st. Until we come up with a new calendar, at least. Well, yeah. (laughs) We have one content notification for this episode. There is a brief mention of suicide towards the end of our discussion on the second reading. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. For our deep dive for this episode, I am so excited. We are finally (laughs) diving deep into time. Yay. I'm so excited. I may have written an entire paper for systematic theology in seminary on this very topic. I promise this conversation will have more pop culture references than that paper did. Is that going to involve working really hard or absolutely no effort at all? No effort at all. Yeah. I'm surprised, actually. I didn't They didn't let you cite Doctor Who. Okay. I know. I was just thinking that I didn't cite Doctor Who in that paper. I probably could have. I don't know. It was while I was still getting into Doctor Who, I think. Anyway, in the New Testament in particular, there are two Greek words used for time. One is chronos, if you think like chronological, that sort of thing. And one is kairos. So we're going to dive into both of those and kind of explore what they mean and such. So... Kronos is the time that we experience as humans, and there's a certain amount of scientific data that we have about how time works. And essentially, what we know about Kronos is that, theoretically, there are ways to travel differently in time than we currently do. All of us are always traveling through time in some way. We're getting older. Time is passing. Mm-hmm. The question is, can we start to travel through time at a different rate of some kind or possibly in a different direction? And the different direction mm. idea, most scientists that I've looked into have said, no, not so much. If you tried to do that, you'd break physics, which, yeah, granted, we've tried breaking physics before and we haven't destroyed the universe. So I'm not ruling it out entirely, but also... Maybe we should know some more things about time before we try that. However, going forward in time, just at a different rate than we all currently are, is actually pretty easy. And we all do slightly change the rate at which we're traveling forward in time on a fairly regular basis, as long as you're, say, driving in a car, if you go on the highway. It's just a very, very small change that isn't really big enough to notice in the course of everyday life. But time dilation happens via a few different methods, one of which is through acceleration. If you've ever watched Back to the Future, no, it doesn't actually mean that getting up to 88 miles an hour in a DeLorean with a flux capacitor can jump you to a different timeline. Mm-hmm. But just accelerating will change the way that you are traveling in time, in part because of how you are traveling in space. And the other way that this works, aside from acceleration, is wormholes, which is basically taking the concept of using the way you're traveling in space to change how you're traveling in time, just in a wildly more drastic sense. And so, theoretically speaking, you should be able to use wormholes or acceleration to travel much further forward in time than you would normally be able to. Wikipedia does have a whole article on time dilation and how that works. I'm not going to attempt to explain it in any detail myself because I know better. But basically, the idea is that how we travel through space affects how we travel through time. And we've seen, for example, space-time and the fabric of it altered by black holes, for example, such as in a movie called Interstellar. I absolutely adore Interstellar, and it is the movie that I'm watching this year for Advent Misfini on space. There's a, like, space prompt. So Interstellar is one of my absolutely favorite movies. So Interstellar and a lot of movies lately and shows have started having consultants, like science consultants. Sure. And But do they bother hiring religion consultants? No, of course not. Never. Never. Or, like, anything for bias or, like, sensitivity readings. None of that. And so 
part of how it works in Interstellar is that they're going to try and find new planets that humanity could potentially inhabit. And they go through a wormhole to get there. So the folding of shoop, pops them out. And then they, in order to check the planets, they have to dive down to them. And so they get closer to the black hole. And the closer they are to the black hole, the faster time moves for them or the way it's portrayed more is the more time passes for everyone else while they're down there so if they're down there for an hour it's significantly more time for everyone orbiting and that sort of thing so they're experiencing time slower than the rest of the normal universe Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so-called normal at least yeah and then it's a little bit different at the end when spoilers like the Matthew McConaughey character actually like goes into a black hole does this whole thing and there's a like going back in time thing where he can be present in his like daughter's bedroom and convey messages but also then like when he's going back through the wormhole in the other direction just by himself in a spacesuit he encounters the spaceship as it's going so there's like a weird time thing then too but then he gets popped back out of the wormhole after like so much time has passed i love interstellar yeah and there is a doctor who episode featuring peter capaldi in one of his later episodes that also deals with time travel via black hole rather differently as far as i remember they never actually enter the black hole it's just all about staying on the accretion disk and trying not to get sucked in and time behaves weirdly while they're at that some of you may have also heard that a few years ago stephen hawking threw a party for time travelers which he did by setting up his house preparing food and snacks and drinks and not sending out the invitations until afterwards in the hopes that anyone who was capable of time travel from any time would find out about this and decide to join him and no one else showed up now I would also like to remind our listeners that it's possible that there are time travelers or have been or will be, depending on your understanding of time. One of the weird things about time travel is that it completely screws up your grammar. <laughs> you get you get into the past participles and the participles. Yes. I don't remember which one it was, but there was definitely a short story or a novel or something that I read that was trying to explore the grammar of time travel. And that was really mm-hmm. interesting. They, they didn't get very deep into it, but it was just sort of an acknowledgement that English would at least would have to go through some pretty amazing changes if that ever happened. But anyway, it's very possible that the time travelers exist at some point in time, but don't want to reveal themselves to Stephen Hawking in particular. I didn't think that we were advanced enough as a society in, I think it was 2008, 2009, sometime around there when he did this, mm-hmm. in order to understand that. Or maybe they just don't really like parties and didn't want to go to one. Yeah, <laughs> some people don't. That's fine. Right. Who knows? So there's all kinds of reasons why they might not have shown up. Yeah. Also, time travel is one of the going theories behind the disappearance of the author Ambrose Bierce in 1913. There are a couple of different accounts of what exactly happened to him. Some folks refuse to admit that any of the stories that happened after his very last letter was written actually occurred and that people were just making things up. But there was an account by, I think, either a neighbor of his or possibly the carriage driver who was picking him up to go on this trip that he was planning on going on, which turned out to be the last trip. They said that he showed up at the location with the carriage and was about to get on it. And he walked around the carriage and then he was never seen again. He walked around the carriage and he just wasn't there on the other side. But there are folks who believe that whoever it was that told that story was not you know either playing with a bull deck or not as unintoxicated as they probably should have been but that happened in 1913 and and there are still several theories about exactly what happened but time travel's on the list so yeah also if you want to dive more into time travel in particular the witch please podcast has a fantastic episode when they're dealing with the third season of their new updated version and we'll link to it specifically looking at time travel they are for those who don't know they do go through all of the harry potter books so they're looking at the third book through the lens of time travel my experience is out of all of the other harry potter things they're 
the only ones that I ever still listen to. I don't always listen to them, but they are doing really well at deconstructing and loving the things to love and deconstructing and rejecting and all of those things. Sure. So the other type of time that we are talking about is kairos. And that is like God's time. Biblically, when you hear Jesus or someone talk about the time is near, the time has not yet come. This is my hour. This isn't my hour. The day is near. Most of the time, those sorts of ways of talking about time, they're using kairos as time in that sense. And so that's just to give like a sense of when we're talking about chronological time, it's pretty obvious when we're talking about chronological time and when we're talking about Kairos time, especially once you kind of get a sense of it. But when I think about God's time, so I think of Kronos as like a linear time, kind of like a train that's just like chugging along. And this does not take into account gravitational pull and the like space-time continuum thing, because I didn't know about it when I was like thinking about this. I think there are ways that this still works. So I think about Kronos as like just chugging along and then Kairos being kind of this cloudy, nebulous ball of wibbly, wobbly, tiny-wimey stuff that every once in a while just like crashes into Kronos and like intercepts it, interrupts it. I was going to say intercepts makes it sound like a football player. And the idea of God as a football player is, yeah. Yeah, I don't think God would be a football player because the concussion's not good for you. Yeah. And when we talk about God kind of interrupting time, God coming into time, one of the things that that can be also talked about as is the Greek word eschaton or eschata. Sometimes people talk about eschatology. All of these are frequently interpreted as like the end times, eschatology, the study of the end times. And it is not what you probably think upon first hearing it. Mm-hmm. One of the things about understanding time and God's time and Kairos as interrupting Kronos is that it has the possibility of creating more than one eschaton, right? Eschata is the plural. So it creates kind of tipping points where it will be the end of something, but not necessarily the end times. So like we have been in this place for a while in the church of things have to change or the church is going to die. So that's this like tipping point where you say we're figuring out like, are we going to take a risk and take a leap of faith and follow God and that sort of a thing. And then the other half of that, right, is or are we going to just kind of dwindle and maybe die? And it can be more extreme and more scary than that. I think in this country, we are in a fair amount of an eschaton place. And if we don't do anything, if we don't change anything, if we don't take action, then like everything is going to like fall apart and die and we're all going to be screwed, which is where we're currently headed. But because it's an eschaton, there are possibilities for it to go any number of ways, right? And we have the possibility to make big changes and to make what we are called to do and who we are called to be and how we are called to be into something better. Yeah. So if you have seen everything everywhere all at once, in that there's it's a multiverse theory, right? So there's splintering off where like, Your decision leads to this, but if you made a different decision, it would lead to this. So then all of these different universes are created. Horror Nerds at Church did a great episode, totally biased, shameless self-plug, on Mm. everything, everywhere, all at once with friend of the podcast, River Needham, as our guest. And so we'll link to that if you want to get more into like how that plays into multiverse theory. I love it and I love talking about it and I love thinking about it because it helps me think about things differently. And most of us experience Kronos even as not as like clear and linear as we say, right? Part of why we have so many pop culture references to time and why Doctor Who's Angel episode is all about wibbly wobbly timey wimey 
stuff or <laughs> like in the good place where they talk about the afterlife time being a Jeremy Baramy timeline. And like you might know where you are on Jeremy Baramy and it might even be that like dot, but that doesn't mean that you are in a specific spot on earth because it is cyclical, like Jeremy Baramy loops back and is this like more nebulous time space compared to Earth's chronos. But we get that sense. Like when we're really immersed in things, time goes really fast. And when we're like bored, it goes slower. Or when we're dreading something, it might speed up. Like we experience time as more relative. And that gets portrayed in a lot of different, really awesome pop culture ways. I almost transitioned yeah. well. <laughs> Well, and speaking of pop culture, as Emily said, we do have lots of examples that we haven't referenced yet. The first thing that always pops into my head when I think of time travel and science fiction, especially, is the Robert Heinlein short story, All You Zombies, which I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, which is very simply memorable because it's about a time traveler who works for a time travel agency that is trying to, you know, maintain and strengthen the timeline, keep people from doing weird things. And he manages to become both of his own parents in the process of working for this agency. You know, like you do. Yeah, I totally do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> always wanted to be both of my parents. Also, there are some examples of like kind of time travel, kind of not. So in D&D, there's not, so to my knowledge, a real like time travel thing, unless it's like part of the big arc of the story, right? Like my first major D&D campaign did end up sending us back in time, like to the founding of Hogwarts, basically. But for the most part, the way D&D works with like smaller time travel is by retconning. So retroactive continuity after you have passed an event or if it's in a character's background or something, you can change that so that it is as if something else had happened for the sake of continuity in the plot line. It's not technically time travel, but it's fun. And it's not like the lake house or something like that movie. Yeah. The other one that's kind of time travel, kind of not, is The Travelers, which Kay pointed out how disturbing it is in a way that I had not recognized immediately before. Yeah. But instead of whole-bodied humans traveling back in time, the future is sending consciousnesses back in time to the point at which someone was supposed to have died. And they take over their body so they don't die and then are trying to like save Earth from what is going on in the future so yeah. yeah i still say that if my husband apparently had a near-death experience and then woke up again as a completely different person i would be really angry and also like feel robbed of my chance to grieve his death like that mm -hmm. just doesn't anyway it seems wrong but. yeah i mean for the most part you wouldn't notice right away which is probably worse even but. creepier yeah. yeah and for a couple of more classic references i personally did not especially enjoy the novel the time machine by hg wells but if you like his other work i think you probably would there was a thing with early science fiction novels where the goal was for the main character to not really like have much of a personality in order to be more of a so-called everyman character and in this case i'm saying everyman because they really were almost all men of course and they were because they were expecting their audience to be mostly men. And on the other hand, if you'd rather have a narrator that has a little bit more personality to them, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court by Mark Twain, actually, that narrator does have a personality. You might find it really grating and irritating. I personally did. But he does have a personality. I'll give him that. <laughs> About a guy from Connecticut who travels back to King Arthur's Court, as you might imagine. Yeah, there's a lovely Christmas movie called The Night Before Christmas, Night with a K, about a knight. Oh, yes. Being sent forward in time to Ohio. It nice. is super cheesy, but also kind of cute. And yeah, that I think was on Pace's list for Advent Miss Finney, non-male director. So it's cute, but it is very like white cishet Christmas romance. Oh, yeah. Well, if you're into white cishet romance, there is also a series of Scottish Highlands romance novels based on the concept of time travel written by Karen Marie Moaning. That's M-O-N 
ing and i've read several of them and they are very much brain candy but they are fun yeah i think i read the first one and then was like hmm. yeah the first one is not the best oh well that's good to know there is like something about like time travel that is like women going back to time periods when they're just responsible for the household and like simpler times it's like yeah that's mm-hmm. not what's going on in this one although i did appreciate the fact that one of them before she went back in time very carefully made a plan to take tampons with her enough for you know a, a reasonable lifetime so that was <laughs> that's brilliant yeah one of the short stories and made into a m- movies that I love when it comes to understanding time or complicating our understanding of time is yeah. the movie The Arrival, which is based on the short story Story of Your Life by Ted Ching. And it is fantastic. It is aliens come to Earth and they have a completely different language system. And there's this like way that it helps us explore the impact of language on our collective understanding of the world and the impact of our collective understanding of the world on our language. So the aliens have this circular, very nonlinear language that they use and a linguist is brought in. And so this story is told like the linguist is the first person narrator, but the linguist is brought in to try and like figure out how to communicate with the aliens and then it starts to like shift how she understands time and so time stops being linear for her and so she can experience what other people might understand to be the future or the past all at the same time it's fascinating the movie is good the short story is phenomenal i love it a lot In the course of making sure I wasn't forgetting anything important while looking for pop culture references, I did unexpectedly discover that Isaac Asimov wrote a novel involving time travel, which is called The End of Eternity, which actually sounds really interesting and now I want to read. So I'm not going to spoil it for you. Sorry, because I'm not going to spoil myself. And I suppose that means that you can tell that I have not experienced time travel because... I'm not anyway. And then of course it does feel like I've been talking a lot about stories written by men. So obviously there are lots of women who have written books involving time travel, not all of which were romance novels, including Mm -hmm. for example, A Wrinkle in Time. So Madeline Lengel has a great series and A Wrinkle in Time. A quartet, I think. I think there's four books. Okay. Yeah. I may have read it as a kid, but I don't really remember it. I remember the one that's like based on the story of Noah Yeah, But A Wrinkle in Time, the newer movie that is out for A Wrinkle in Time is fantastic. Like it is just so great. But a scientist's dad kind of disappears. And so it's this kid and her genius younger brother and a friend are sent by who, which, and what's it, which our Patreon supporters might recognize as our $10 a month tier is the who, which, and what's it tier, which gets you live Q&As, which are coming up this month. So now's a great time to join. But they send the kids into this space to watch movies and all sorts of like lovely and delightful things. And like dig into time and messing with time and all of that stuff so another novel based on the concept of time travel is of course the time traveler's wife written by a woman named audrey whose last name begins with an n and i'm honestly just not going to even try to pronounce it but it's based on the idea of a time traveler who is a reluctant and involuntary time traveler like he doesn't control how this works his name is henry and the woman he marries and their story is a little you know creepy but in terms of the ages that they get involved with each other at he meets her at first as a child and they have a perfectly normal relationship of like adult and child and healthy and all Mm -hmm. while she's a child but of course she inevitably falls in love with him and they begin their romantic relationship when (laughs) the first time they meet each other once she's too much that is too much like the twilight Jacob as sure. Renesmee thing. Blah, blah. I mean, there aren't any vampires. 
I suppose. But, or werewolves. But, yeah. But the way the time travel is handled, at least, is really interesting in that he can't control it. It's basically a medical condition that he has. So the time travel itself uh. part is interesting. And also it gives him some side effects, like he can't watch television because it brings on the kind of migraine that brings on the time travel. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Another book by the amazing Octavia Butler is, of course, Kindred, which I think I saw that it's coming out as either like a miniseries or a movie. Yeah, they're doing something with it. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Octavia Butler's just phenomenal when it comes to sci-fi. But in Kindred, an African-American woman gets sent back in time to a time when her ancestors were enslaved and like gets sent kind of back and forth in time for a while and has like the way that it's done for her I think is a really helpful of like it it doesn't hide or diminish the actual reality of chattel slavery in the United States and so she like is just thrown into this completely other life from her like normal hanging out has a partner kind of life in contemporary U.S. and has to like figure out how to all of a sudden navigate being an enslaved person and this weird relationship with one of the members of the white family that have enslaved them and it's just really well done. I'm not doing it justice but definitely check it out. And then, of course, perhaps in some ways the most well-known book on this list would be Outlander by Diana Gabaldon, which I have not read the books. I did see a couple episodes of the TV show. I was there mostly for the costumes. But <laughs> the one thing I can tell you is that I know a woman who was born and grew up in Scotland, and she is not fond of the way that Scotland is portrayed in those books at all. And she has read them. Mm. So huh. she has some rather extensive words on that subject. But that book is also an example of using time travel for romance and very carefully avoiding the weird places time travel can go because she doesn't want to deal with it, which is fine. You know, that's a valid way to tell stories. But. Yeah. That's, I think, the book that I read that I thought you were talking about earlier. Sure. Well, yeah. Okay. There are a lot. And obviously, Doctor Who is not just about, like, it's not just the, like, black hole episode of Doctor Who, but literally the TARDIS is time and relative dimension in space. So the sure. whole series kind of gets at, like, fixed points in time, closing time loops, all of these different theories about time travel in really cool ways. And if you're looking for a podcast connected to Doctor Who specifically, Tarbis, Time and Relative Blackness in Space. It comes from the Black Nerds Create. They're not an sure. empire, but they're delightful collective of things. They have a bunch of different podcasts, but one of them is Tarbis, and you should definitely check it out, and we will link to it in the show notes, in our episode description. Sure. Oh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I guess, doesn't have time travel per se. Yeah, once we started thinking about stuff, it was well, like, oh, and this is time travel, and this is time travel, and this is time travel. Yeah. Oh, there is one character in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy who does travel in time. He is specifically from the far, far, far future and not from Earth. And he is just sort of an ongoing joke in some of the, I think, the later books. I don't remember if he shows up in the first one, but he is an an alien with his own little spaceship and he is immortal. He is angry about it. He got really, really bored and decided to go through all of space and time and insult every person who ever existed exactly once and do so in a slightly different manner for each person and be really, really picky and nitpicky about it. And so, and he decided to do it alphabetically. <laughs> And so every so often, he just shows up in the course of events. His little ship will land, he gets out, he goes over, he insults someone, he gets back on his little ship, he goes away. And <laughs> so I, yeah, it's just a wacky side joke. That's hilarious. Also, if you are yeah. interested in a book that is not actually time travel, but there are a couple books like this where like, it is not always clear what time it is in the book. Monday's Not Coming by Tiffany Jackson is a really great book. It's like middle grade, high school level. It's fantastic. It's about a kid whose friend disappears and everyone's kind of pretending like everything's fine, ignoring it. And the kid is trying to like figure out what's actually going on with it. 
but it's it's fantastic. Also, Jane Unlimited by Kristen Kishore gets into multiverse theory. She originally tried to write it as a like choose your own adventure, and then as she was writing it, it became like a multiverse book, sure. which is really just fun. Yeah. Our first reading for this episode is from Ecclesiastes chapter three, verses one through thirteen. The author elaborates on the many things that one does in life and how each have their appropriate time, leading to a good and enjoyable life. So one of the themes from this passage is the idea of labor and work. This is especially obvious in verse 9, but every time I read verse 9, it says, what gain have the workers from their toil? Right, And it, it's getting at like, what is the point of working? What do you even get? All of that, which feels so relevant today, but there's also the like really obvious answer slash response of a 40 hour work week, sick time, health insurance, weekends, paid vacation. There's a whole poster that the Ricardo Levens Morales studio made for the labor movement that has all of these things, OSHA to protect workers' safety, all of that stuff. So we'll link to that. But what have laborers to gain from their toil? A lot if they organize. And then as we dive into the verses in verse two, we read, there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, or perhaps a time to regenerate and a time to end, a time to prune and a time to harvest what remains. Yes. (laughs) And sometimes it's time to regenerate even if you don't want to. Also true. And then in verse five, we read a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And in my experience, I think that this is the verse that is most often not understood by modern people that I run into. This is the one I always get questions about. And so when it comes to the stones in an agrarian culture or any culture that deals with growing crops, you throw away stones when you are clearing a field to plant a crop because you are digging up any stones in the field so that it doesn't get in the way of plowing the field. And Mm -hmm. you gather the stones together for, generally speaking, one of two reasons. Either you are building a wall, whether that's a low wall to separate fields from each other, which is a handy way to deal with the stones that you have removed from the field Mm -hmm. so you don't have to carry them super far away, or you are gathering stones to cover a grave. Or to like make platformed beds, not platformed step tombs. No, like for harvesting, you can build a wall between stuff, but you can oh. also build a wall to like fortify yes, the to, wall to so that the land stuff doesn't so that it, yeah. like run right. off. And yeah, right. The gathering stones to c- cover a grave reminded me that, of course, this is a passage that I'm used to using for funerals. Mm-hmm. And as far as embracing, there is a time to refrain from embracing in ancient Judaism and some takes on modern Judaism because ancient Judaism had a rule against having sex during a menstrual period. And we want to keep in mind when we think about that, that many ancient women didn't have a lot of choice in who they married. They might have not had very many options. And so this could be seen as a time off for them, that time Mm -hmm. of not dealing with much of the rest of the world while menstruating was yeah. was yeah a, a time of sabbath yeah mm-hmm. also when you were talking about gathering stones and stones marking graves i also think of the jewish practice of placing stones on oh, graves yes. of on particularly important people mm-hmm. yeah and then in verse six we read a time to seek and a time to lose a time to keep and a time to throw away so sounds like moving to me which is mostly because it's my current context and we are losing a whole bunch of things because we're in the middle of the moving and keeping some things and throwing away others and all of that. Sure. Also, I was thinking about it with Moana and the heart of Tefiti. There was a time when Maui was seeking the heart of Tefiti and a time when Moana is keeping the heart of Tefiti, right? The ocean has presented the heart of Tefiti to her and so she is keeping it. And there is a time when it gets thrown away. There's a time when she loses it intentionally to return it to Tefiti. Sure. And then in verse 13, we read, Moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in all their toil. 
so this this is the ecclesiastes version of this phrase the isaiah version in chapter 22 of isaiah is the better known one which says let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die there are a couple of <laughs> very similar verses in the new testament as well that i'm less familiar with but the isaiah version is quoting people who are directly disobeying god and those are people you do not want to emulate but neither shakespeare nor ancient greek philosophers actually came up with the let us eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die line it's actually biblical i realize people get those three sources mixed up a lot so yeah also the ecclesiastes version is not necessarily quoting people disobeying god right like there is a sense of no that's the isaiah version that is yeah. the isaiah version yeah. is directly yeah the uh, yeah. the ecclesiastes version actually has a completely different meaning than the isaiah version yeah that's what at. i was like i so, want to be yeah. clear that the like meaning for ecclesiastes is not it's different just, yeah all of, these, all of these verses are, are slightly but... different from each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the Ecclesiastes version is a wonderful reminder, especially as we start a new year, of yes, eat and drink and take pleasure in all your toil. Like so much of capitalism right now is like telling us that we have to work. Like I know people who have COVID and who are like, oh no, I have to go to work because I owe it to my boss who is not properly protecting me from COVID or the government who yeah. is not properly protecting anybody from COVID. And it's like, no, we don't work for the sake of work. We work in order to live. And we all just actually deserve to live and, in, and enjoy yeah. life. Like everybody deserves that. It's just not reality right now. And part of our work is to make it reality. Yeah. Yeah. Stepping down off my soapbox and on to our second reading for this episode is Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 6a. A hopeful vision is cast of God's ultimate plan for the universe being renewed and the end of mourning, crying, and pain. So one of the themes in this passage is the idea of completeness. They specifically use a merism at the end when we're talking about God as the Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, right? And a merism is one of my favorite Hebrew Bible poetry techniques. It's not just Hebrew Bible, but I know it best from Hebrew Bible. Sure. That attempts to name a completeness or a whole category by naming what appears to be ends of the spectrum. So they say alpha and omega, and it means alpha, beta, gamma, delta, all the way through to omega. Beginning and end yep. means beginning, middle, end. Male and female means male, female, between and beyond. There's a little bit of like limited knowledge at the time of, you know, gender and things, but sure. there's just like, I, I just love merisms and like the way that they create what we usually interpret as a binary, but actually what they're doing is breaking open that binary to include the whole swath of everything that counts in those larger categories, which is cool. And then yeah. as we dive into the verses in verse two, we read, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I was thinking about it, and I like to complicate these verses like this a lot, but in this particular one, I was thinking about in India, on TikTok, there are some people who do henna on TikTok that I like come across every once sure. in a while. And in India, there's a tradition of getting really elaborate and beautiful henna done. One of the people that was running for Board of Education here in Baltimore has like pictures of getting henna done with the Baltimore skyline because that's how much she loves Baltimore. Cool. So I was imagining the new Jerusalem adorned in that sort of a way. And so like that would be like graffitied and like the art and the different cultures of art, not just that like the buildings themselves are art in terms of architecture, but like the spray paint and henna and all of these things decorating like every single wall and road and all of that. And I was like, that's the new Jerusalem I want to see. Yeah. You know, in our culture, we don't really have a tradition of, you know, super decorating buildings aside from like Christmas lights, but that could be really beautiful. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then in the first part of verse three, we read, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and I was struck as I read this, that when I hear about people speaking from thrones, they always seem to speak very loudly, right? 
like mm-hmm. in fiction or when you're reading historical stuff. Anyone speaking from a throne always tends I mean, that's to speak the only loudly. And yeah, well, the thing is, I was thinking about it, and you would think that people who are, you know, the ones who are sitting on the throne wouldn't have to shout to be heard a lot, like probably they're used Mm -hmm. to being listened to and so the idea that they would have to be really loud is kind of interesting but then i also asked myself like what would it be like if it was a quiet voice from the throne instead like what if the person on the throne was whispering at you and that sounded Mm -hmm. deeply deeply creepy to me imagine (laughs) the scene where dorothy and her friends encounter the wizard of oz for the very first time and don't actually know who he is he hasn't revealed himself yet Mm -hmm. and when they meet the wizard and the great oz and he starts whispering at them instead of shouting. Like, yeah, that would have been very creepy. I would have wondered if he was a serial killer, you right. know? <laughs> well, and there is a thing about, like, volume that, like, when you yell to try and get attention, you just mm-hmm. add cacophony to the already existing cacophony versus when you whisper or yeah. when, like, you really want to draw someone into a story, you lower your voice. Or I noticed it in the other episode that we have coming out for January 1st that was on grief when we were talking about grief, right? It's a more intimate conversation. So we had all of us, like our voices were a lot softer and yeah, yeah, that there's that space for like intimacy. But if it's like the Wizard of Oz, yeah, that's a different, that's a very different implication. That's, that's the creepy kind of intimacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then in the first part of verse four, we read, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. And it's a lovely image. It's so kind and loving. And also, I immediately flash back to a different throwaway joke from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, not the guy who was going around the universe insulting people alphabetically, but instead (laughs) the Jatra Vartits who believed that the entire universe was sneezed out by a creature called the Great Green Seizure, <laughs> and refer that. to the end times as the coming of the Great White Handkerchief, <laughs> when everything would be wiped out. And I just, thank you, Douglas Adams, for, you know, completely ruining this lovely image for me. I, yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. Listen, you know, creation <laughs> stories are all different. And... By all means, like there absolutely should be one that's essentially that. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I do love the variety of creation stories that we have. Yeah, they're just they're fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And then in verse five, we read, and the one who was seated on the throne said, see, I am making all things new. Also, that one said, write this for these words are trustworthy and true. And I have to admit, I'm a little skeptical in the expanse. Literally, no one is ever totally trustworthy and true, though things are made new. But particularly when Christian Avasarala is trying to figure out what's going on at the beginning of the series and investigates her friend, Frank de Graff, her friend's house. He was the ambassador to Mars and really liked Mars, and she like basically screwed him over to figure out information and for her own political gain, but then also like to figure out information. And then he like loses his position and all of this becomes really like reclusive. And then it turns out that he dies by the understanding is that he has died by suicide. And she goes to his house and is like, they're kind of as friend, but also then like finds spy pencils. They're they look like pencils, but in fact, they're like jump drives and things. So, yeah. yeah. Our final reading for this episode is Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. Jesus is described sorting people at the end of time into groups of sheep and goats based on how they treated others during their lives. I really had to work to not say sheeps with that. but. <laughs> so one of the themes in this passage is the things that Jesus is talking about are social ministries, right? Which ideally also lead to justice where you are doing something to cover a gap or to take care of a need, but also like it leads you to ask questions about why this need exists in the first place, that sort of a thing. But I think also so often it can be like in the holiday calendar movie. This is when we find out how much Emily has really been diving into Advent misphony. But in the holiday calendar, the main character is dating this guy and he takes her to a soup kitchen to help feed people. And in the course of 
her time there, she meets these two older guys who regularly come and is talking to them and sitting with them and all of that stuff. And she develops a relationship and they're like oh yeah he just brings his dates here to like show off and and he even talks about like this is so that we can like recognize how good we have it or whatever and it's just like but part of what i think and i hope jesus is getting at in this is that part of it is the relationship right it's not you visited me once in prison it's you visited me in prison an ongoing sense of it and the relationship because that's what transforms And then in, as we dive into the verses in verse 32, we read all the nations will be gathered before the human one and the human one will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So a little bit of context, this is specifically talking about non-Jewish folk, the nations. Hebrew word would be goyim, if you've ever heard of goy or goyim. Yes. But this is about the non-Jewish people because the Jewish people are the chosen people. And also goats are more mischievous and need a different type of care than sheep do. See, for reference, Elliot, the littlest reindeer and Elliot's friend, Hazel, who is a goat who gets stuck in fences because (laughs) she tries to eat cans and then gets immediately stuck again. And also our deep dive with Polly Festa on herding and shepherding. Yes. Sheep and goats. Yeah. Sheep and shepherding. Although, as I remember, they might have said that sheep and goats are both equally mischievous. It's just goats are a little smarter about it and therefore more clever. Mm-hmm. But And therefore more likely to get into trouble. Yeah, just smart enough to be yeah. dangerous, as I've heard said. In verse 35, we read, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. And if you complete the tutorial at the start of Skyrim, the way that you're supposed to, basically, and then you stay with whichever character that you choose to follow at the end of the tutorial for a while afterwards, they will take you to visit their family in a village nearby. And the family, as thanks for having saved their nephew's life, supposedly, which is what he tells them, then they will supply you with all sorts of useful things like clothing and food and a few very basic necessities and a little money. And they will also be friendly to you for the rest of the game if you bump into them again. So wow, that's an interesting. That seems like a pretty good deal. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's not a ton of stuff. They're not like rich or anything, but it's a useful start. Mm hmm. And then in verse 36, we read, I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And honestly, we got some sick people in my house right now and we're taking as good of care of them as we can. But you know who's not? The government and companies. And they are making people be sick. So boo. But also, (laughs) that was not (laughs) written in the script. I mean, also, also they were doing that before these people in your house specifically got sick this time. But yes. It's true. It's true. And we've been talking about it for, yes. for you know, almost three years the now. The length of the pandemic and therefore yeah. the length of this podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We started right before the pandemic as nerds at church. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about that. But I was thinking about the I was in prison and you visited me and the ways that like you can only visit people in prison so many times or so many people in prison before you become an abolitionist. Like to visit people, you have to recognize their humanity, right? And then to recognize someone's humanity and the juxtaposition of them being literally imprisoned is like this whole other level of mm, nah. So, you know, yeah, go visit people in prison and become an abolitionist. You know you want to. Come to the abolitionist side. We have cookies. Well, I mean, they don't have cookies in prison, so I would hope you guys do. Yeah. And then in verse 42, we read, For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. And I don't know that I could ever find the specific story again. I think it might have been one of the ones written by a guy named Copper Badge, but he's mm-hmm. written a ton of fan fiction about the MCU, so I mm-hmm. have no idea how I would find the specific story again. But there is a line from a MCU fanfic that has always stuck with me, which describes the main difference between the childhood that Steve had and the childhood that Clint had. Remind me which one is original Steve Avengers. is Steve Rogers is Captain America and Clint Barton is Hawkeye. 
Hawkeye. They both grew up not well off and sort of on the edge of poor on a regular basis. And specifically, it's mentioned in both of their backgrounds that they both spent a fair amount of their childhood hungry. But the difference between their Mm -hmm. backgrounds, which also happened in like wildly different decades because Steve was growing up in the 30s and Clint was growing up in, depending on which version of the comics you're reading, somewhere between the 60s and the 80s. But the difference between the hunger that they experienced is that when Steve went hungry as a child, everyone else around him was also going hungry. Like everyone around him was also struggling. Mm. And Great, Great Depression. That's what you do. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And also just like a very poor neighborhood in New York in the beginning, too. And whereas when Clint went hungry as a child, most of the other people around him were eating just fine, but they refused to feed him. And that's a very different kind of experience. And it shaped both of them very differently. Yeah. I feel like we are in, right now, we're in both of those, where there are so many who are hungry, surrounded by people. And and there's so much pressure to, like, not appear to be hungry. And also, we're just all hungry. Like, there's not enough. Yeah. Even if what we're hungry for is relationship and caring about each other. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm literally talking about the financial like aspect of yeah not having enough money to buy food, but also like, especially with the pandemic, because the government has mismanaged it so badly. There's such yeah. a greater negative impact on isolation and all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And now for our most timeless segment, let's <laughs> make a Muppets musical. Kay. Do you have any casting choices for today? Well, I don't know about like exactly any of the readings because none of these readings are actually about time travel, but the (laughs) thought of Dr. Honeydew and Beaker trying to experiment with time travel sounds like a very good time and I am on board with that. And if we could just like work that into the background, like maybe that's how the Muppets get to doing the Bible in the first place Mm -hmm. because they've time traveled. Yeah. Probably accidentally, like knowing Dr. Honeydew and Beaker. And so I don't know that that's exactly a Muppets Bible musical casting, but I think it's an important part of the story. I love that. I think it's a great idea. Now I'm thinking about like how the different Muppets would like explore a new world where they had traveled to or a new time, right? Like that Elmo would be like full of questions and like want to like go and see and touch everything. And the juxtaposition of Bert and Ernie of like one being very like, don't touch anything. And the other being like, let's dive in. Yeah. Yeah. No, don't don't change the future. And also that would explain how the Muppets got from like ancient Israel to the end of time in order to witness the book of Revelation as well. And all of the various other prophetic things. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So so they would have to time travel in the musical now that I think about it. Yeah, it's it's just tricky because then like if they're playing the characters, then it's a little bit more complicated. But I do like right. I do like the like premise and then it's like and here are Maybe they did the time travel and now they're back and now they're doing the musical to tell the stories that they witnessed. Oh yeah. I like that. Because, like, they're not going to bother writing songs and things for everything until they're back and they're not, you know, desperately trying to find their way home in time. I love this. I really, really want this to happen. Yeah, I think there are definitely going to be some copyright issues with the bubbles, but Details, details. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for Epiphany. This podcast has been produced by us, Kay Roloff and Emily Ewing. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Nerds at Church, or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want access to our uncut guest episodes and interviews, live Q&As, and more, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdsatchurch. You know you want to be a who, which, and what's it. And it's cheaper than building a time machine. (laughs) I certainly hope so. Also, let us know on Facebook or Twitter who you would cast for Let's Make a Muppets Musical for this episode. Like, especially if you think of any for the actual readings themselves, because we did not. So... (laughs) Right. <laughs> or time travel adventures. I want to hear your ideas for Muppets time travel adventures. Biblical time Absolutely. travel adventures yeah. especially, but just in general. Sure. As the ancient Christian said, Pox, Pox Vobiscum. Vobiscum.